You mean the people in the middle? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say that again. It sounded a little... <laughs> All right. Good afternoon. We're here with Rick Ledesma. Welcome to Voices from the Middle. Rick, glad you could be here. We've been trying to get together. We finally made it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, Rick, um, obviously, you know, you and I know each other, but why don't you tell uh, folks who don't know you a little bit about yourself and how you got to be where you are today? Sure. Uh, well, my name is Ricardo Ledesma, but I, as you mentioned, I go by Rick. I'm 38 years old, and I currently manage the compliance operations for Credit Human Federal Credit Union, a low-income designated credit union with $3.1 billion in assets and over 700 employees. Great. Now, for you know, you and I spent some time here uh, working in this industry, but other folks don't necessarily know what does uh, what does that mean, a compliance officer, and what kind of stuff do you do? Catch the bad guys, or what do you? What's what's that mean? Well, you know, it means a whole lot of things. I, I think to to simplify it, basically, it's a, I'm in banking, um, and banking is a heavily regulated industry, and in compliance, we make sure that what we're doing in the banking system is done in accordance to rules, laws, and regulations. Okay. Um, you know, you and I have talked before about the aside from that, you know, the the. the the nuts and bolts of your job, you, you do manage people, which is why we're talking together. And um, what, what do you, you know, what do you like actually about managing people and, and overall your job? You know, um, managing people, well, to, to be clear, I don't, I don't manage people. I would say that I, that I more direct and lead people. Uh, what I like about leading people is just finding, connecting with people, finding ways to motivate them, um, to to generate alignment and to uh, execute our work towards a common goal and purpose. That's really what I love about managing and leading. You know, one of the reasons I'm talking to you is that we can say those words about uh, that you just described as management, but it's actually not so easy to do and you're quite effective at it. So why do you think, I want to ask you a couple of things about that. Why, why, how is it that you think we undervalue the importance of management or even more importantly, how we, we think it's kind of, oh, anybody can do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think uh, for me, it's about motivating people. I, I do have this fundamental belief that people want to do the best that they can in whatever it is that they want to do, whether it be to be a better brother, better sister, better employee, whatever it is, they, they, they're motivated. And people have dreams and aspirations. Um, you know, I, for me, what I enjoy is spending time getting to know uh, people and, and understanding those uh, those dreams and aspirations, um, and and really try to find underneath of it what is it that motivates people. Not everybody's the same. Um, I think this is this is very important for us to to recognize. Uh, you know, this goes back to what I mentioned earlier that I don't manage people. Uh, I think I orient their goals in line with that of our organization, and the rest simply falls into place. I would say it's more of a synergistic approach to motivating individuals. Um, you know, if you're, uh, well, you're in the middle of the organization as a mid-level manager, um, how do you get things done when you sometimes have direct authority over folks, but sometimes, or very often you don't, definitely don't uh, have authority over the people that you, uh, that, uh, you report to? So, how do you get things done when you when you don't have authority? Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 harder, right? When you when you have to 
lead without authority. So to me, I've always focused on influence. Um, I do believe that leaders uh, must have influence and develop their ability to influence. Uh, building relationships has been uh, a key aspect of it for me that has, that has uh, given me success. It allows me to get to know others. Um, I have a network of peers, either within or outside of the financial services arena. Um, this gives me the confidence to raise my hand and, and quote unquote, grab the bull by the horns and get involved. I also think that I'm transparent with my agenda. Um, my agenda is essentially to improve outcomes. So I'm seeking authority for, I'm not seeking authority for the sake of seeking power. Um, I think people know that I want to contribute and improve the outcomes and situations. And I think other people see that and, um, and I'm able to influence through this authentic and more transparent approach. And, and I think that's, that's key when you don't have authority over your peer network. Absolutely. Um, you know, that sounds like the day-to-day, -day, that's, that's you know, tough stuff to do. You know, you and I have talked about this before. Um, you know, my, my question to you before was, you know, we, we focus on the astronauts. We focus on the superstars, but we forget that there's like 80,000 people today that are working to make sure that the astronauts can get up to space, get into space. So why the obsess, obsession with the, you know, the top performers, the, the superstars, and we forget the, the, the kind of, you know, folks that make it all possible. You mean the people in the middle? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say that again. It sounded a little... <laughs> well, you know, the middle is the middle. I think uh, what, I, what I think about is that those individuals that are not at the top, um, that I would think are more in the middle than, than, than in the bottom, have a really good understanding about, about what the people uh, in, beneath them feel and, and can generally identify a relationship, I would say, that, that either connects or disconnects uh, with those at the top. And, and so I think, you know, I think about the greatest startups or new ventures. I think we, we talk a lot about Amazon, right? So, for example, Amazon. Jeff Bezos didn't start at the top, right? He, he saw an opportunity in the growth of the Internet and found a product that he could, uh, that he could sell in the Internet. So getting to the top starts at the bottom and mm. goes through the middle. Mm. Um, the middle perhaps is, I think it's one of the most important layers in any organization. I consider that to be the heartbeat. Um, you know, the problems that Amazon is trying to solve today are very different than the ones that gave them the initial idea and probably cannot be solved unless that heartbeat is consistent and steady. That's well said, yeah. Well, you know, we spend a lot of time at work, and I know you've got kids. How, how do you handle this issue of work-life balance? <laughs> yeah, you know, it handles me, I would say. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would like to say that I came up with this really good plan that allows me to, to, to manage work and life and everything else, but, you know, I have not. Uh, my approach to it, and this is what has worked for me, you know, I don't think about it in terms of balance, but really about priorities. So I have three broad categories of priorities or as David White would illustrate in his uh, three marriages I have a marriage with my vocation my craft uh, a marriage with my family and a marriage with myself and these are the three priorities and I benefit a lot from my wife's feedback when I lose sight of this or when there's a disproportionate allocation in many of these but work is not work for me so I'm fortunate enough that I'm passionate about my work 
but I do have a tendency to get lost in it and therefore, you know, create some sort of imbalance. Um, and I think we all go through that. I think we're all humans. But for me, I have quit things in life. Uh, you know, I, I rid myself of habits that prevent me from maybe focusing on improving my vocation or it prevents me from being present with my family. I think I would say that while I think I these three priorities cover everything, I, I would say that probably my friendships have suffered the most. But for me, friendships are not something that I need in my day-to-day -day life. I'm, I'm able to get you know, connections and make connections with my friends uh, very sporadically. I don't need that in my day-to-day -day routine. So for me, it's been mostly around about setting my priorities and focusing on those. And, you know, as with anything, even balance, there's, there's trade-offs. Sure, especially with the kids now. You know, you talked about improvement, and um, I want to ask you, how, how would you how, what would you say or tell people about preparing for success? Hmm, well... I think you said it. I think you got to prepare for success. And I think preparation is everything, at least for me. You know, in, in, in my role, um, you know, I have an opportunity to interact with leaders across the organization. I get to learn about their businesses. I get to talk to regulators and legislators. And so I, I get a sense about the internal and external environments. I have to focus on the culture and really be looking out looking out in the future for potential trends. So for me, this requires discipline to spend time and understand these things, right? So I, I just don't wing it. Uh, so for me, a lot of it is preparation. So I want to say on average, I spend around an hour to an hour and a half preparing for a one hour meeting. Mm. And it's no wow. different for if you're playing sports, right? You, you just don't skip practice and expect to win or hit that winning shot or, or, or contribute to your team. It's a process. Uh, it's a craft that requires preparation, I think repetition and constant refinement. So I think at least for me, this has the preparation has allowed me to succeed. That makes a lot of sense. When you look back to uh, at people that uh, have talked to you, um, what would you say the best advice you've ever had is? <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure about whether it was the best advice, but I remember earlier in my career, um, I was I had just uh, become a, a compliance officer for a community bank, and I was I was going to be participating in the in the monthly uh, board meetings, and I was to give out a, a report out to the board. And my boss at the at the time said, "Rick, you know you need to remember that your job is to make me look good." And I was 22 years at the time. You know, so I, I just followed blindly and I, and I, and I remember that, oh, you know, I got to make them look good. And so I don't know if that was <laughs> bad advice, uh, you know, because making him look good technically made me look good. But now as I reflect on that today, it just seems self-serving. You know, I, I'm just not sure that that would be advice that I would give to one of my direct reports or anyone else. Yeah. I hope not. Probably, <laughs> you, sounds a bit old school. Probably wouldn't hear it much yeah. from uh, other managers as well. But what advice would you give to uh, you know a younger Rick Ledesma if you were twenty two or just people just entering the workforce? You know, it's uh, it seems like it's obvious um, to some. <laughs> to me, it's more about you know you got to learn, you got to learn, and you got to learn, and be patient. I think patience is is always um, hard to 
it's always a hard pill to swallow. You know, I think I, I generally love the passion and and how when somebody comes in new to the organization, how they're not bounded by any cultural thinking um, and, and just the, the general enthusiasm that they bring into the into the workplace. And then we organizations tend to get rid of that by processes and policies and, and procedures, et cetera. So I, I always I want to make sure that we retain and welcome that entrepreneurial thinking. So I, I think my advice would be don't let that creativity and passion go away, right? Because it does tend to maybe, um, you know, be scaled down as, as you go through the day in and day in and day out of, of the work. Um, but I would say, you know, keep that, save it. I think when you enter a new workplace or a career or any new environment, I think it's important for us to learn the culture and then find opportunities to bring forth those ideas. Um, not all ideas work, right? And for some, it might just not be the right time to present those ideas. Um, so learning and being patient, I think, would be the two key pieces of advice that I would give any young person entering the workforce. Yeah, that, for sure, that makes sense. Um, I know, too, that um, technology plays a role in your job and you're interested in technology. I'm, I'm pretty challenged in that area myself, but uh, uh, what role has technology played in your uh, success or challenges uh, of being a manager? Yeah, I think uh, technology has impacted, I mean, all of us greatly, right? Society in general. Um, I think now we have access to, uh, to information that when I was growing up, it just seemed, would have seemed like a science fiction movie, um, having cell phones, et cetera. I think we're connected to the world 24-7, uh, and we are constantly available. Um, I think the problem with technology is that we are connected to the world 24-7, and we are always available. And so I think while technology has allowed me to be more effective and learn things quicker, I also think that it prevents us from learning things deeply and sometimes from being present and being more connected, not necessarily in the technology sense of the way, but being connected in the relationship sense of the way. Right, human to human, really a deeper contact. That's right. That's right. And so because of this, I'm, I'm very selective about the technologies that I use and the frequency in which I use them. Um, so again, I, I use the, the three marriages that I spoke about earlier uh, as a guide. You know, does X technology help advance my marriages? You know, and, and I think, or does it detract from them? And so for me, at least for me, in my, in, in, in my view, uh, technology tends to detract more than it does advance my goals. But I can imagine that the opposite would be true for others. So I think um, just being careful about how you utilize, utilize technology and how it maybe prevents you from, from uh, advancing your goals is important. Sure. Um, aside from technology or including technology, in the last few years, have there been any new um, uh, new habits or behaviors that have really improved your life? I mean, technology has a role, but aside, outside of that, what 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 did you look back? What 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 would you say? I, I want to say is going back and unlearning, unlearning, unlearning. Huh. Yes. So I you know just going back and and challenging the things that I've learned and uh, taking time to truly understand new things deeply. And not just do a more of a shallow 
um, understanding or thinking that I know things. Uh, I really dedicate my time to recognizing my general tendencies that might prevent me from learning something new. And, and so that's been a new habit for me. I'm very selective as to what I do and what I want to learn. And when I take action, I approach it by believing that the answers are right in front of me and that we generally tend to overlook them because we're so busy, caught up in other things, so we just want to execute a task or have things to move on to. So for me, it's really about just slowing down, uh, unlearning, recognizing that I may have some biases that might be keeping me from learning things subjectively. And I like to look obsessively for things that I may have overlooked or not seen. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, I've been, I know you and I have talked about payday, payday lending. Yeah. And I'm very passionate about that. Um, I've, I've been working to trying to understand uh, payday lenders and their practices and, and how they become so widely available uh, here in San Antonio, Texas, and in Texas in general. And so I've I'd had many conversations with people that have dedicated a tremendous amount of time and learning about the payday lending industry. And what I found is that not many of them have actually visited a payday lending shop themselves. And so me with this new form of thinking and learning, I decided to go out and take out two payday loans myself because I wanted to see it firsthand, um, how they operated, how, why do individuals visit payday lenders and what their, their experience was or is. Well, I got to stop and tell you that I remember you actually took me on one of those visits. And uh, what was interesting is that you're the kind of guy that is very financially savvy and spreadsheet savvy, et cetera. So it would have been easy for you to stay in front of your desk and figure this out and read things. And, and uh, again, you could have just done that. But I liked how you said, let's go visit one of these places. Right. And I, I hadn't been to one either. And uh, go ahead. That was and, and, so, and so I think it, it goes back to what I described is that things are in front of us. They're available to us, and, and sometimes we develop these, these notions or these habits that we think we know everything by doing the things that we're good at, and, and we fail to, to see things that might be inherently available uh, or quickly available in front of us. So, so I, I took it upon myself to go out there and, 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 and uh, see it firsthand, and every opportunity that I get, I like to take others and so they can experience the same thing because it's totally different, totally different than me talking to you about it, than me showing you a presentation or showing you fact sheets. Right, and because I, I know you go to DC and you talk to the, you know, the regulatory agency, the CFPB in this case, so you're a guy that knows this stuff, and yet you were smart enough to say, hey, listen, there's a lot I don't know. Let's go a whole mile away. I mean, that's, and, and it was great because you know, I also realized, Rick, that we all live in our own small world, and it can get very small, and the world gets bigger. And even so, a mile away, we're cut off from a whole nother industry, a whole nother set of a community with different concerns. And it's so easy to get just caught in front of what we already know. So I really loved how you got me out there and said, hey, let's let's explore something new. Let's see what's out in front of us um, just a few feet away. That's right. That's right. And I think that's that's one of the the major new habits that I developed over the past couple of years. And I think, uh, you know, it's it's I'm still focused a lot in trying to improve the marketplace for consumers and for them to have an alternative uh, an alternative to credit that is affordable. Um, so I'm still focused on this and I don't know what, what would be in store after after this is all said and done. Yeah. 
if you don't mind, I know we, you talked to me before about when you talk about uh, what you're trying to do in terms of your mission and your values, how you got into banking in the first place. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the, <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah. So I was I was a uh, probably eight years old um, entering into second grade. And, and my dad had this tendency to take uh, I was a you know I was a family of of uh, a four you know three three older brothers and and so he had this 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 thing in which he would take one of us not not all of us but one of us whoever was available at the time and he would whenever he would get paid he would take us down to the local bank and uh, you know we would walk in there and, and he would cash a check and so I remember vividly one this image of one of those days that that I went with him and walking in and you know, saying hi, he said hi to, to the security guard, uh, walking into the building with high ceilings, you know, marble floors, very cold. I remember that vividly, that it was very cold in there. Uh, but then seeing people in suits, wearing ties, very professional looking, and there were people having conversations that they looked very engaged in. Um, something about that environment just attracted me to it. And I, and I wanted to be part of that. And the fact that it was an event for me as a child. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we had a good experience after, you know, generally my dad we would cash his paycheck. Um, and most oftentimes we would have dinner that day. And so it was a very positive experience. And, and I've always wanted to be part of that. And, and since then, I remember vividly thinking, I want, I want to be, I want to be in that space. That's great. Just a kid from Laredo. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Wanted to be a banker since I was second grade. Very cool. Um, Rick, I know it's 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 um, you're the more difficult question because it's easier to talk about our successes and um, uh, things that went our way. At the same time, have you had any failures from which you've learned? Wouldn't necessarily be bragging about it unless somebody asked you about it. But right. as you reflect back, anything you'd like to you can say well yeah i think you know obviously i'm a, first and foremost i'm i'm an achiever uh and somewhat of a perfectionist so everything i do naturally is a failure uh but i but i have had serious failures in my career i think there was one that that really shaped me as a person you know as an employee as a husband as a father and that was that was one that i think it was a situation in which cause people to question my integrity. And in my eyes, you know, integrity is, is a key value priority for me. So, you know, I spent maybe two years unlearning and relearning myself. Um, but I, I ultimately believe that failures are extremely important. I think we generally see failure as a, as a extremely bad thing. And, and, uh, and I think there's ways to be able to learn from failures and become a better uh, better person uh, from it. So I, you know, generally when I'm working with my employees, I advocate them to go out and fail. You know, I'm not, I'm not punishing them for failures. I am simply um, having conversations about understanding what went wrong and reflecting on it. I think it is when we make the same mistakes without learning from them, um, that failure then can become an issue. And, and so I think all of us as as humans have, have failed and learned from those uh, aspects that, that have come our way. I know when you say that learning from failures, it can sound like one of those things in a little self-help book that sounds good. But I remember I, I personally had a, a significant failure about a dozen years ago on a project. 
And I remember I was it, it did not feel good. I was not proud. I was not happy. But and I remember I told a friend who's actually a coach, and he said, I'll "Never forget this." He said, "Congratulations." And I was really pissed off. Actually, I thought, <laughs> "Congratulations!" But but that I didn't I didn't learn anything at that moment. But then as I reflected on it. I could really see his point. And I looked at that failure in a way that I don't think I would have had he not said that comment. So um, at, at any rate, that was it's true. You can really and I because I learned a lot from that in a way that I wouldn't have learned from another successful project. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Didn't feel good, but it's nonetheless true. Um, well, I just want to get back to the, 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 the central theme here about, you know, as you look at your career and, um, you know, the, the ups and downs. What would you say, again, are the biggest challenges for uh, being, quote, in the middle? And what advice would you give to others? Yeah, that's that's a, you know, that's a difficult question. I think I think there's many different ways of approaching it. But I, I think that the, the thing that comes to mind is that when you are in the middle, you tend to get caught by wanting to take sides. And, and, and let me unpack that a bit. You know, we, we can look at it in terms of if you're working for a larger organization, um, there are strategies that are being implemented, and then you are able to then see how um, individuals in, you know, in, in, in the lower uh, portions of the organization are reacting to that. And so it's easy to get caught into, well, the strategy wasn't communicated correctly, or you know, the, the staff that we have is just not capable of understanding the strategy. So it's very easy to get caught into taking sides. Um, being in the middle, you see both you see both sides of the coin. And so mm -hmm. I think that's that's one of the things that I that naturally comes to mind when I think about somebody that is in the middle uh, usually faces that tension between picking a side. And and so I think that that once you pick a side, it really makes it harder for you to kind of objectify perhaps changes in culture. Um, and, and so, you know, it is, it is easy to find confirmation bias, right? It's easy to look at things and find things that confirm what we already believe are true. And I would say that in order for us to be objective, being in the middle requires us to have a, a degree of, of patience a degree of tolerance and, and, and objectivity and recognizing when we might no longer be objective and we pick the side and how that side picking may impact our ability to, um, to think things through in a different way. So I, you know, I think that's the, that's the challenges that I see occurring quite a bit through the middle. And for me, it's about how can we take these two actions and reactions and, and how can we find the relationship between the two and bridge a gap? Makes sense. And Rick, the last thing I want to ask you about being in the middle is um, the issue of happiness. And uh, let me just explain what I mean. I, th I think it, it could seemingly be easier to be happy when you're at the top of the organization, i.e. I'm the president or CEO. Of, of course, I'm happy. Or the flip side is, you know, I'm, you know, just frontline employee. Well, how can I really be happy? And I think it's so easy to start to judge ourselves by other standards, i.e. I'm only going to be happy when I'm at the top or I'm only going to be happy when. You're a guy that's very comfortable in your own skin. And it seems like you've set your own scorecard, like you know what's important to you. How do you, so what do you say about that? 
You know, I think we have this, I think we've developed this, this affinity with thinking that being at the top equates to happiness, to happiness. And I think I would say to that, you know, you talked about, you know, I want to be the CEO, et cetera. Well, if power is what you want and you think that a CEO is what that brings, that, that being a CEO brings power, then you probably would be unhappy if you don't have power and particularly you don't have the CEO title. Yeah. Um, and, and I think for me, it's been more about my goals. You know, I, I try to not let um, these illusions or, or these visions that, that often get communicated through us in, in movies and, and books and whatnot that, that you should strive to be X, Y, and Z. Um, I think I made it a point to develop my own plan based on what my own goals and my priorities are. Exactly. I think it's important for us to know that. Otherwise, then somebody else's uh, priorities will become our priorities. Right. And, and so I think for me, it would be more about finding what makes you happy. And I think that's, it sounds easy. <laughs> right? It sounds easy to say, oh, okay, we just find what makes you happy and do that. Uh, but it's not that easy. I, I think it, it, you know, for me, it, it, it happened over the course of years. Um, I want to say <laughs> at least eight years before I really got to the point that I, that I'm happy and, and, and I want to use the word content, but I generally refrain from using it because content usually gets associated with complacency. Right. That's <laughs> and, not what we're talking about. And that's not what we're talking about. But to me it's it's I'm 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 happy with the with the issues that I'm trying to work with and solve. Um, I have my priorities. I I itemize what those priorities are and I'm focused on that, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to stuck with that or stick with that for the next 20 years. Right. Uh, but but it's it's a progress, it's a pathway, and I think this immediate need for success might not might not always be there, you know. So I think it's it's a journey. I think find out what it is that you want to uh, achieve in the future, and then work backwards and take it one step at a time and. And, uh, and and enjoy the ride because it's going to be a long ride right. and a fun ride, by the way, too. Yeah, it can. And uh, so, as you say, that, that uh, being content doesn't mean that you don't have ambition, but that, uh, you, that you chart your own path. But what I really, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you was I was actually very touched by that story you told me about um, as a little kid being, you know, wanting to be a banker. And I thought about that. That's... Uh, other people could look at that goes, gosh, he didn't say he wanted to be president of the United States. And I thought that was a really beautiful story because it's like, that's, I think that's the gift of this country that you can live a good life and have ambitions that are modest, um, that are real, and that are achievable. And that um, you, you set your own scorecard and you decide what you want to do and work toward that. And um, I, I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing to be able to achieve that ambition. And, and uh, as I said, and, and chart your own course. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and I would say to that, you know, Michael, that's I, I have the opportunity to, you know, you mentioned being able to talk to the regulators and sitting down with them and being able to influence uh, regulation for to improving um, choices that are available to consumers. Uh, and they that came from wanting to be a banker. Exactly. Exactly. Rick, anything else you'd like to let us uh, know about yourself or anything you'd like to say? 
No, I mean, I it's I, I really enjoy the opportunity. This is a great conversation, and and you know, I, I really love the focus that you have in here in terms of focusing and, and seeing things from the middle. Uh, oftentimes, we tend to to forget about that. I think we're constantly focused at, as to what happens at the top or trying to climb the ladder to get to the top. Uh, and and I go back and 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 I continue to praise all the work that happens in the middle because without that as I mentioned that's the heartbeat and I think we need to not forget um, about that and, and keep that front and forward and and, and that's really the, the middle is, is a, a fascinating place and to get to the top you have to go through the middle. <laughs> no way around it. Rick thanks so much for your time I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thanks.